Tonight we will take the 10th chapter, just 11 verses, and a study that I've entitled, Devour the Book. And when you think about it, it, there's this little book that's mentioned here, and it appears that it's going to be eaten, and we'll get into the depths of this as we go throughout our time in this, in this study. But you don't have to think too hard to think about uh, that saying that we often use in our modern day and time. I, I really devoured that book. I really ate that book up. That book was so good, I, I just took it in. And when we think of eating something... We think of it then being metabolized and transformed into something that we can use, energy, nutrition. We take it in so that it can be part of who we are and then do something with it. Amen? The whole point of eating is not so that you would grow in girth, but so that you would actually be able to be useful. Okay? So when we think of devouring something, we need to put it into that perspective. We literally want to take it in, it gets to be part of who we are, and then it becomes useful for the purpose for which we have taken it in. Would you pray with me as we will pick up in verse 1? Father, again, we are just so grateful, Lord, that we have this amazing place to come to, Uh, to study your word, that we can spend time together uh, around your throne of grace. And we ask that you would speak to us now. You authored these words by the Holy Spirit, and we pray that uh, nothing would happen to hinder uh, them going into our lives, being part of who we are, and being useful to us. And so, Lord, we give you this evening. Pray that you would now speak to us. We ask these things in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation 10, and I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And so this is a picture we've seen before, uh, clothed with a cloud. There's a little bit of mystery around this angel. And, And the rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and cried out with a loud voice as when the lion roars. And uh, if you think of that picture for just a moment, when you hear a lion roar, that's, uh, that's your cue as a human being to watch, look, listen, and run. Amen? When you hear a lion roar, it does not do so just to kind of, you know, like I feel like roaring like right now. Lions roar for a reason. When God's word speaks into our life, It speaks for a reason. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them down. Very strange, a one-time occurrence in all of Scripture. Here's something that is clearly said. It was clearly audible. John heard it. We're made aware that John heard it, and yet John is told by the Holy Spirit not to write those things down. It's what we call a mystery. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, And so you can clearly see that these two beings are not the same. So 
we'll get into this, but this is obviously not Jesus who's making this descent to earth because we know when the next time he comes, he's going to put his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And so the Lord is being honored by this angelic being, swearing to him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven. You notice that the testimony is the one who created. Of course, we know who creator God is. Created heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, the sea, the things that are in it. That there should be no delay any longer, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, When he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. God has a time and a purpose. We saw this last time. There is a season for everything under heaven. His righteousness that reigns, his justice that is true and sure, his judgment, even his wrath. Those things which God would do, which we would prefer he would not. Those things which he does, which at times we think he's a tad slow. There, every once in a while, I don't know if you think this, but there are times when I I do wonder, you know, God, why couldn't you just hurry up a little bit? You know, coming tonight would be good for us, but at the same time, that would be bad for billions, amen? And, And so the Lord does have his timing, his perfect purposes in absolutely everything, even the things we do not understand. And so he says that mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. And so you begin to see that the Lord is speaking very specifically by the power of the Holy Spirit that this message that is a secret had been revealed before. Parts of it were known, but not all of it was known. There were parts of it that were restrained, not known to the people even today would not know exactly what God has planned. There are mysteries about God. There are things we do not know. There are things he has not told us. And then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. That little book is actually a big book. That little book is very important to you. It's important to me. And he said to me, take it and eat it, take it in, consume it, there's another way to look at it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And you can begin to see that this whole picture revolves around God's word. Take that that is sweet, you know, God's plan of salvation is sweet to us who are being saved, amen? Amen. Matter of fact, it says it is life unto us who are being saved, but it is also the smell of death unto those who are perishing. So the word of God on one hand is sweet, and the word of God on the other hand is also bitter. When you think about your friends who do not know the Lord, is that not bitterness to you? Doesn't it grieve the very depths of your soul? Doesn't it cause you to come to very, very difficult things to even think on? You see, the word of God is like that. Matter of fact, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to convince and convict of sin and of righteousness. So there's a goodness when we say yes and amen to the things of the Lord. There's also some difficult things when we say no to sin, amen? 
We have to fight the very substance of who we are in the flesh. Take it, eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again to many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so tonight, devour the book. And as you look at these things, remember that Jesus himself actually said, heaven and earth itself will actually pass away. But the word of the Lord will endure forever. Amen? That he even honors his word above his name. That so highly esteemed is the word that you remember in John's gospel. How does it begin? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And what does it say in verse 14? And the word became flesh, or Emmanuel, and dwelt among us. Amen? The word is power. The word is life. And in fact, Jesus, in calling himself the very bread of life, he was speaking of the substance of who he is that can do for us what we cannot ever accomplish for ourselves. Thomas Paine, who was an immigrant to the Americas, really before, just shortly before the Revolutionary War, and was really considered to be one of the principal authors of our Declaration of Independence, though he himself didn't draft it, uh, he, he began to write these little pamphlets, and as he wrote them, they became kind of the, the rally cry for the American Revolution. And he would go on to write a couple of them, but uh, his masterpiece, this one pamphlet that he believed would be the greatest of all of his works, he authored a little tiny pamphlet called The Age of Reason. And in it he began to expound on his thoughts about deism. In other words, there really wasn't a personal God. You couldn't know him. There certainly wasn't a savior. And so there was no saving to be done. God wouldn't save you, nor could you be saved. And he finally ended that little pamphlet with a handful of words. And as he was talking about it, within those who were the founders of our nation, he says, this pamphlet will destroy the Bible. He said, eventually, this this will make the, the Bible irrelevant. People will come to their senses. They'll understand that the Word of God is no more than a book of philosophy. Well, it didn't go so well for Thomas Paine. And in fact, he began to have arguments with virtually anyone and everyone. And on his deathbed, he said these words. He said, I would give worlds if I had them, had the age of reason never been written. When he died, six people came to his funeral. Thomas Paine no longer, I don't know if he actually confessed Christ before he left this earth. But I know the word of God is still sharper than any two-edged sword. And it still divides between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. It is living and powerful. And so as we look at these words that we have before us tonight, many people today boldly speak of the demise of God's word. 
It remains the bestseller of all time. It remains the most popular book in the world. It it remains the most talked about, written about piece of literature that's ever been authored, if you consider it simply literature. More books have been written about the Bible than any other book ever in the course of human history. More research has been done about the content of the Bible than any other piece of literature in the course of human history. More people have claimed that it was contradictory to itself or that it contained uh, some form of contradiction that would nullify it, and yet no one yet has come up with what those contradictions actually are. God's word still remains, family, and it is still truth. And in this passage, we find another parenthetical chapter, and this whole chapter really is is some additional details being added in so that we might understand what's going on in the tribulation. And so it begins with a picture of this mighty angel that comes, and we might ask ourselves the question, who is it? And I saw still another angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, his face like a sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And this description is so much like other descriptions where we see God himself or or Jesus himself clothed in what we would call the raiment of heaven, that people have assumed that this must be Jesus. But there's some very key words that are used in the original language. The word that's used here and translated angel is actually angel, and it means messenger. It is angelos. And so when we think of it, we we need to look a little closer because that doesn't quite solve the problem for us. But what does solve the problem for us is that this is a uh, another angel, and that word another is extremely important because it is the Greek word alos, and alos means another of the same kind. In other words, there there is a sense, just like Jesus would say in John fourteen sixteen, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper. That is also alos. I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That another helper is obviously not Jesus the Son. Amen? That another helper is none other than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is still God, and yet the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. So this picture is the picture of an angel, a literal angel, an exact representation of, uh, of of the angelic beings of heaven. If if John had used the, the Greek word heteros, if he'd begun to say these things are, are completely different, it would have been different of another sort. In other words, it would have been something that's different than any other angel. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's another angel of a different kind. So it's simply another angel. This is an angel that's come to proclaim Uh, what the Lord is doing on this earth. And so as you think on these things, you you can really look at it this way. Alos, which is another of the same kind, or heteros, which is another of a different kind. As you look at these two beings, remember that the one that's on the earth is praising Jesus, who's still in heaven. So it becomes very clear that God is sending a message to earth, and he's using an angelic being to do it. When we look through our history, we look through movies, we, we could go to all kinds of different places. Uh, we could see how this has been used throughout time. Uh, when Jesus comes back to earth, remember he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's the next time that the earth, that the earth is going to feel the feet of Jesus 
it's going to be as a conquering king. And so the, the angel uh, speaks to this, what we've seen, you've probably even seen some of the pictures of the founding of this country, whether that's Ponce de Leon or uh, Christopher Columbus. There's always that point in time when they step out of that boat, which is representing the country that they came from. In both cases, the country Spain or Portugal. Uh, as they step out of Spain or Portugal, the boat that's on the sea, it's international water, as they put their foot, their foot between the boat representing the home country and the new land, they're basically saying, look, I'm taking dominion over this. And so the angel is professing the dominion of the creator who is still in heaven. He's saying this is the creator's land. This belongs to him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, remember we saw, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn him because of what they have done. Even so, amen. You see, Jesus will be seen by everybody when he comes back next time. Simultaneous, all around the globe. How he does that, people always say, well, is it going to be a holiday? I don't know. He's God. He can do anything he wants. And remember, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 says that when we are taken up, when we are raptured, we're going to meet him in the clouds, not here on the earth. And so this is a very clear difference in what the Lord is allowing us to understand through this passage. Some people still going, well, what about the description here? Well, it's actually quite simple. And I believe this. And it's the same thing that happens when you pick up your Bible and, and you have the habit of picking up your Bible and you spend time with Jesus. What happens? You look more like Jesus. You act more like Jesus. You talk more like Jesus. You become a little bit more Jesus-like. Amen? As you spend time with God, now imagine that you're an angel and you have never transgressed the glories of heaven, you've always been in heaven, and your first descent to the earth is after thousands, perhaps, who knows, jillions of years. We don't know how long the angels uh, have been in heaven, but we know they've been there for, let's, let's give it 6,800 years tonight. Let's say in the last 6,800 years, you spent that time in the presence of God. I, I think you're probably going to look a little bit like the Lord. And you're probably going to have a little bit of the glory of the Lord if you think about it for a moment. And in fact, 1 John chapter 3 reminds us, and it says there in verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when he is revealed, when Christ is finally and fully revealed, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So imagine an angel having come from heaven who spent thousands of years in the presence of God, around the throne of God. Because this is a mighty angel, this is likely a cherubim, this is one of the, the, the great servant angels of heaven. And you can look at it like this, you know, very often if you think about it, you can see the effects of the sun on your body, amen? We call that suntan. Or if you're not careful, sunburn, amen? You, you see, you are transformed by being in the presence of the sun. 
S-U-N. You're also transformed by being in the presence of the Son, S-O-N. Amen? You, you start to take on some of the glory of the Son himself. But you can go to church your whole life. You can spend uh, a lot of time in the endeavor. In fact, the Pharisees did that. And Jesus chided them in John chapter 5. He said to the Pharisees, he said, Look, you guys search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are these that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. You you see, when you stand in the presence of God, when you're around the Lord, when you immerse yourself in the Lord, you're going to look like the Lord. So this description, I believe, is nothing other than us really recognizing this angel has spent time uh, in heaven with the Lord. And, and David said the same thing, by the way, there in the 17th Psalm. He says, look, I'm looking forward. When I croak, that's what it means to wake up in the Old Testament. To go to sleep was to die. So when I wake up, because I was dead, when I wake up, I will see your face in righteousness. And I'll be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. So this angel, one of the angelic hosts, will be glowing and it'll have that countenance. Moses had the same effect, amen? Remember what happened to him when he got a little bit close to God there on the mount? Came back, his face shone. Matter of fact, so powerful was that shining that when it started to wane, they stuck a bag over his head. He was the first bag man. He wore a bag over his because he didn't want anybody to know that the glory was fading. He'd been in the presence of God, and the glory of God shone in him. Uh, I, I believe an angel could easily pick up an awful lot of the glory of God. Not that the angel would become God, but the angel would pick up the glory of God by being in the presence of God for all those years. And here's this universal little book. And he had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land. And, and I believe all, that, all that's being said here is this is the universal nature of the Word of God. It, it speaks to everyone in every age, all times. It, it doesn't matter where you were born. doesn't matter who you are. And in fact, when, when we think about these things, if you think about the Lord and you think about who He is, uh, when you read the 24th Psalm, that first verse is pretty powerful. It says, the earth is the Lord's. It begins that way, Amen. It says, the earth is the Lord's. Then it goes on, in case you didn't get it, from the earth is the Lord's, all of its fullness. And then it goes on to say, look, the fullness, the world, and those who dwell therein. So it doesn't matter what you think of God, you're still God's. From God's perspective... This whole earth is his, everything on it and every person. In other words, he's the rightful deed holder to it. And so this angel comes, in essence, with this book. And remember, your Bible contains the story of God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. Amen? But it's also an ownership manual. It says, look, I own this earth. I created it. Tells us how he did it, even. He says, in the beginning, God... Amen? Created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to say, look, everything that I did was good. 
And by the time you get to the book of Colossians, what does the book of Colossians say? For by him was all things that were created, created, and without him was nothing created that was created. And all things were created for him and by him. So the whole world is his, including all of us. And so the angel's saying, look, when the angel sets his foot on the oceans, and when he sets his foot on the land, and he's looking back up at God, he says, this is yours. It belongs to you. That's the universal message that God has always sent to mankind. The fact that Jesus came into this world, he came into this world that the world through him might be saved, amen? Why? Because he loves his creation. He loves his people. He has always loved all mankind. And so the angel is simply declaring that. And he has in his hand what we would call the title deed of all the earth. He says, look, God in heaven, Jesus, This is his. And when something belongs to you, you have the right to do with it as you please. Amen? When we think about ownership, it's a way for us to understand God's plans for this world. And because he's righteous, you know, in your home, I assume that you have house rules. Amen? Ours include two Labradors that can get on the couch and look at you. You know, we have, we have house rules. We have things that you, you can do and you can't do in our home. If you come and you choose to use uh, unruly, not-so-nice language, you'll be told uh, there's a gutter out front. You can go there. No, we, we have things that are part of the rules of our house. Well, the earth and the fullness of it belongs to the Lord. This is his house. Amen. So he gets to determine what the house rules are, what the people do who come visit him, and ultimately whether they get to stay or not. Amen? And so what does Jesus say? He says, look, the way you know, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They say, well, we don't know where you're going. Thomas made that remark. Amen? There in John 14, isn't that what he said? Well, we don't know where you're going. Yes, you do. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you might be also. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. So the angel simply proclaiming, this is all God's and he wants you to be with him. In essence, what he's doing is saying, if you're still here and you haven't done it yet, now would be a really good time to repent. Because you've already seen a half of the world's population wiped out. That should get your attention. You've already seen all these things that you've never, ever seen before, nor did you think were possible. The God that created this place, I'm here to declare to you that he's coming back. You need to change your ways. It's the universal message that God has always put forth. The next thing we see here, verses 3 and 4, this very strange, these seven thunders that speak. And it says there in verse 3, And I cried with a loud voice, as when a, a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And so we, we all know that seven is the number of completion, and very often there are seven things that God hates, and there's the sevenfold spirit of God. There's lots of sevens, 
uh, about God's character and nature, and many people have tried to explain what these things are, but I'll give you a little tip. When the plain sense makes sense, don't seek any other sense. It's the thing that D.L. Moody came up with a long time ago, and it's absolutely great exegesis, which is to bring out of the text what the text actually says, not practicing eisegesis, trying to read something into the text that it does not say. And what it says in the text is, don't write them down. It's a mystery. And now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things that the seven thunders uttered. Do not write them. Don't do it. You heard them. You get a little insight. I'm sure John was able to remember them. He got a little preview. This might be one of those things that, you know, you ever wondered if God gives special blessings to people who are especially faithful? He got to hear something nobody else has ever heard in the history of the universe. He could wander around going, nanny, nanny, nanny. I heard the seven thunders and I know what they are. No, of course, he he got some special information. God gave him something. And then he said to me, take it, take and eat. It'll make your stomach bitter, but it'll be sweet as honey in your mouth. And so when we think about the book of Revelation, we understand that it's meant to be understood. Amen? Too many people look at the book of Revelation and go, well, you know, you can't understand it. It's got all these symbols and, you know, weird shooting stars and crazy locust creatures and weird stuff. You can't know what it's about. That's not true. We understand enough from what God has told us to be able to rightly interpret the book of Revelation. But there is a singular thing in the whole book of Revelation that no one's ever going to know. This is it. And I believe there's a reason. What, what is the point? It kind of sounds strange. Why would God say something and, and make it very clear that he said something? He even tells us that he says something, but you can't know it. What's the ingredient in your life? Amen. Somebody already said it. Faith, amen? You see, faith is the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. Amen? It's the evidence in your life that God's at work, but it's not something that you can muster up. It isn't something that you yourself, you have to be given faith to believe. Amen? Faith comes from God. And in fact, the book of Hebrews reminds us That without faith, it's impossible to please God. In fact, without faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, you can't even believe. Amen? Because it's not intellectual assent that brings you to Christ. It is faith that brings you to Christ. It's not you all of a sudden, wow, I just understood the entire plan of salvation. You know, I am just so smart right now. man. I am super spiritual. No, you believe by faith. And that faith is actually a gift of God. He gives you faith so you can believe. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And so the missing thing that is here is also the ingredient in all of this incredible last day's plan that points us back to the fact that we don't know everything. We never have. And in fact, your entire life has elements of faith in it every day. The plain truth is, we don't even know if we're going to be here tomorrow. Amen? So you're here right now by faith. 
because most of you believe that there is going to be a tomorrow, so you want to do something with your life that is beneficial for the kingdom, and so you came to church, and by faith you believe that the hearing of the word of God is going to add to you so that you can go do something with it tomorrow. You actually, by faith, believe there's going to be a tomorrow, and yet Scripture plainly says tomorrow's promised to no one. You get it? There's always faith in every moment of every day. There's faith in your soteriology, your doctrine of salvation. There's faith in your sanctification. There's faith in your maturation as you're becoming more like Christ, as you're maturing in the things of the Lord. There's faith in every last bit of it. None of it is pure you. And so I believe the point here like Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of the Lord. So God reveals enough to us that we are his kids, that we can do the things that he wants us to do, that we know the things he wants us to know, but he does not tell us everything. There are things that God's done that we're not going to understand until we get there. There's going to be a very long line in front of Jesus. Because we're all going to be going, wait, 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 what about, what about? You know, we'll have our hands up, just like, just like in school, you know. And you're probably one of, I was one of those kids that was like, I thought I knew the answer. I just, I could not wait to ask my question. And so I get a little jumpy every once in a while. It's like, but, but wait, I think I got it. And I'd raise my hand and, you know, and they'd get tired of calling on me because I always had these weird answers. It's like, no, that's not it, Jeff, you know. But you thought you did. You see, you think as a child of God that you actually know God better than you do. You don't actually know everything. And the longer you walk with Jesus, <laughs> you're going to come to that conclusion in a really hardcore way. I don't know anything. David said there in Psalm 131, I am quiet now before the Lord, just as a child who is weaned from the breast. Yes, my begging has been stilled. We, we, we look at it from the standpoint we have just enough to know it's going to be okay, but we don't have everything. Little kids don't know if they're going to make it through the next week. They just know that they have parents. Amen? Most little two-year-olds don't come up, Dad, are we going to have, a, you know, they don't ask you those kind of questions. They're just grateful for their existence day to day. That's why we're supposed to come to Christ as dear children. Amen? Matter of fact, Jesus taking a child, putting him in the midst of the disciples and said, unless you become as one of these, you will not even see the kingdom of heaven. There's an element of our faith that's childlike. Amen? We just got to believe dad's good. He's got a plan. He's got it under control. And his timing is perfect. Probably many of you have been, you know, back in the day when, when most of America used to take driving vacations, back in the 50s and 60s. You had to trust that dad actually knew where he was going. <laughs> Amen? You'd, you'd get Because if you took off on Route 66 and you headed uh, across the deserts of California to New Mexico, I mean, the... the you just saw the sign, Chief Yellow Horse, 247 miles. You know, and, and the world's largest ball of twine. And, and, and you're out there. There is nothing out there 
You're just believing that dad knows where he's going. It's like, dad, I think that's the same cactus. We passed it 600 times. You're believing that God knows what he's doing. Knows where you're going. It's a deep, it's a rich trust. It's faith. That's, that's the part of Romans 8.28 that echoes to us. All things work together for the good. For those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Amen? That's faith. Because you don't know that for sure, do you? I don't. You get a cancer diagnosis, you're going you're gonna to test that equation, aren't you? See, the way you test an equation is you work it. You work the equation. And in this case, the equation has an element of faith. There's a secret piece of the equation that only God knows. Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I'm not sure where this is going. I, I don't know where you're taking me, but I trust you. And so when those seven thunders do their thundering, that's God saying, look, I got it under control. We don't know what those thunders were, but we know who does the thundering. Amen? And we can trust him with whatever it was. Whatever he said. It's going to be that Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God. We, we have to be silent when God has been silent. I think people get themselves in trouble theologically by trying to speak things that God hasn't spoken. So what is this great mystery? Jesus has now opened up all the seven seals. Six of the angels have sounded their trumpets. We're going to bring the last trumpet. We'll bring on the bold judgments. And so we're, we're getting well along in this, this time in, in the history of the universe that we call the great tribulation. Verse 5, And then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea that had raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. We know who the him who lives forever and ever is, amen? That's, That's why Jesus said, I am. I always was, I am today, and I forever will be. That's what he was saying, I am, Yahweh Elohim. Swore by him who created heaven, the things that are in it, the earth, the things that are in it, the sea, things that are in it. There should be no delay any longer. You see, some people look at these verses and they think it's, you know, like God stopped time or something. And I don't believe that's what's being said at all. But in a moment, he is saying something I believe is very important. You, you see, when this last trumpet blows, it's going to be the end to the mystery. He just said there's a mystery. There's something that we don't know. But there is going to be an end to that mystery. We're going to eventually have all things revealed because we're going to be like him. Amen? When you get to heaven, the mysteries are going to be over. But right now, there's a lot of mysteries in this world. Why does God allow Satan to continue? That's a mystery to me. Is that a mystery to anybody else in here? I'd fry him like yesterday's bacon. But I'm not God. Why do bad things happen to good people? That would never happen if I was on the job. Probably wouldn't happen if you were on the job either. I mean, think about it for a second. There's a lot of things that we would consider mysteries. Why does God do that? 
Why is he going to allow the Antichrist to come on the scene? Anybody ever thought through that one? I have. I was like, wow, Lord. A world ruler who's going to come on the scene, take control of the entire world's monetary system, government, and religion, and you're going to let him do it. That is a mystery to me. And then to top it off, the false prophet's going to come on the scene. That's a mystery to me. I'm kind of thinking I wouldn't do that. But that's why I'm not God. Because he's got a plan and it's perfect. Mine, not so much. All those mysteries that you've always had. God's great secrets that the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Isaiah reminded us exist in the halls of heaven. You see, there are things that we don't know. Not too many of them. God's been pretty gracious and kind in giving us information. Amen? You know, think about it for a second. He actually explained that he's the creator God. Think of how many scientists are engaged right now trying to figure out if that's true or not. And yet God just plainly declared it in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And as scientists unwind those secrets, you know what they find? Well, we don't have any answers. They're a mystery. And yet God told us what he did. He just didn't tell us all of how he did it. I happen to think he got close enough that we should be able to understand it. That's why Paul would write in the, in the book of Romans that the things that were made testify of him who made it. What's God doing? Well, he's got a few things that are still up his sleeve. A few things he's chosen to not let us know. This final thing as you, as you begin to look at this, you know, is God going to stop time? Notice what it says here. He's sitting here thinking of these, of these tidbits and pieces. There should be no delay any longer. What's God doing? Well, what God's doing is that he has a perfect time for everything. God is not going to cause time to cease, but he's going to cause his plans to come to fruition. He's going to make that perfect time, that perfect season. And even during that time, people are going to have an opportunity to repent. And God's talking about a mystery here. What is that? Let me tell you a couple of mysteries that I still don't understand. The mystery of grace. Why God poured out grace on this world. Me, I would have barbecued Adam and Eve right out of the box. Just, I'm getting me two new people. And I keep doing that until I got two perfect ones. So it's a mystery why we're here at all, actually, to me. And then that God would send grace into the world, his unmerited favor on us. And if that wasn't good enough, that he would then pour out mercy upon us that's new every morning. Is that a mystery to you? It's a mystery to me because I wouldn't do that. You get like like a mystery card that would say how much mercy you get. And when you run out, tough. (laughs) You see, think about it from a human perspective. God's been so good to us and yet he's been very mysterious about being good to us. He tells us he's good. He explains to us that he's always good. He explains to us that he's always love. What does 1 John say? God is love. And yet he's going to wipe out half the population of the world 
kind of seems contradictory, doesn't it? does to me at times, unless you understand that God's got a perfect plan, that his justice and his judgment is just as perfect as his love and mercy and grace. And furthermore, his justice and his judgment are motivated by love and mercy and grace. That's a mystery because I can't do that. You see, as a general rule, we kind of give our love fairly sparingly, amen? you're married in here, say amen. Yeah, we, we have a tendency to kind of hold on to that a little bit tight at times. And yet God doesn't. He's perfect in the administration of all things. And so that's a mystery to us. It's a hidden truth. John uses a unique word here to talk about finishing these things. And it's the, the Greek word teleo. And what it really means is to conclude, to bring to pass, to, to finalize. And so he's going to make this, this final truth happen. And that final truth is there's actually a last day for mankind's sinful nature to exist on the face of the earth. That God's going to say, no more. And we don't know when that day is. No man knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. Only the Father in heaven knows. And he says, but oh, by the way, you who are believers, I'm going to snatch you up by force. So on one hand, we live expectantly. On the other hand, we live knowing that the Lord's going to come back. Amen? Amen. Think about it. He's given us some mysteries, but he's given us enough stuff. We're like, yes. Thank you, Jesus. But throughout Jesus' time here on earth, he talked about a very strange thing, and he called it the kingdom. That one day he would establish his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, it begins this way, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You see, there are some mysteries you actually know. The kingdom of heaven is one of them. That one day God is going to actually establish the perfect kingdom that Adam and Eve messed up. Because you remember when they were put here in the first place, it was perfect. Amen? They were walking with God in the cool of the day. They didn't age. They, lived, they had everything they needed. They didn't have to buy clothes. They did not need to go to Costco. Coles would have gone out of business. I'm thinking, I'm slapping one of them when I get there. What were you, you know, you're going to say something like, what were you thinking? But yet God is saying to us that he's still going to establish his kingdom. That glorious kingdom, the one he planned from the very beginning. In the meantime, he's had this incredible time called the Age of Grace where us failed human beings can live out our lives and do the best that we can, receive his grace, repent of our sin, and be saved so that we can be a part of that kingdom. That's a mystery. Because you know what? Truth be told, there's a lot of folks in this room looking around. You, you wouldn't choose me, and I wouldn't choose you probably. Amen? Think about it for a second. You know, that mean kid that you had in high school that you, you just hated with every breath that you took you know there there's people you <laughs> sorry 
Bummer for you, man, but not God. And he's going to establish it perfectly. There won't be a single person who will miss out that should have been in. And there won't be a single person in who should have been out. And here's the glorious thing. It'll all be because of what they chose, not because of God's sovereign plan. That's how that sovereignty and man's responsibility works together. God has a perfect plan for all men to be saved, but at the same time, to make that love real, he says, you get to choose this day whom you serve. The mystery of the kingdom. But to them, it's not been given. People outside of God's kingdom don't know that mystery. They don't understand. They don't get it. But one day he's going to set it up. We'll see it as we get through this book. We're going to see it actually come to earth. And he finishes up. He says, okay, I want you to eat this book. Well, we've seen this before. That voice that came from heaven said, look, devour it, eat it, consume it, metabolize it, take it in. It's sweet, it's bitter, it's all these things. The word of God is amazing when you think about it. Because when you need a good whooping, what do you get? You get a good whooping. When you need encouragement, you get encouragement. When you need to know you're a sinner and you need a savior, that's what you get. When you need to be encouraged that your home is not here on this earth, but it's in heaven, what do you get told? You you see, it is what you need. It's like that commercial on satellite radio. I don't know if it's on regular radio, Texas Superfood. I don't know what it is, but it's got like 56 fruits and vegetables in it. It's like a super nutrient. And if you take it, you'll live like to be 2,000 years old. But it's supposedly the only thing you need. And, and, and then you can eat all the Twinkies you want as long as you have the Texas superfood. So I'm getting me some. But he says, eat it. That's the way the word is. It's what you need 100% of the time. It is that perfect word in due season. It is the apple of gold. It is that which is in a setting of silver. It rightly divides between your soul and your spirit. It it gets to the heart of man. It does what nothing else can do. The word eat here is the Greek word kataphagia. And and what it really means is, is is to take down, to devour. And you see what happens to us when we do something like that. When you eat food, it ultimately ends up in your digestive tract and all those enzymes and things that are inside your body begin to work on it. And we call that digestion and it pulls out of it the nutrients. And if you take in too much sugar, it stores it as F-A-T, fat. You know, we have a pretty fearfully and wonderfully made tent, Amen. You see, when we take something in, it actually gets dissolved. It isn't what it used to be. It becomes part of you. Crazy to think about it, but that's exactly what happens. That's what's supposed to happen with the word. David the psalmist in Psalm 19, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. You see, it does all these things, and the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. You see, it is what we need. 
And as we take it in, we have what we need. We devour it. But it also calls us out, amen? I know people that, you know, and I'll tell them, I'll say, well, you know, you need to read Romans chapter 1 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6 or Galatians 6. You know, I'll give them some, some diagnostic test to go home and do because they'll tell me, I've got to, I'm struggling with this. And I'll say, well, I don't want to pick on you, but you go find out what God said. And they come back and they just look at me like, like the fire of hell shooting out of their eyes. It's like, why did you have me read that? I said, because now you're responsible for that information. And yes, it was a bit bitter, but it might save your life. Yeah, I told you what you shouldn't do because I know, because God said so, it's going to destroy you. So the Word of God does that, doesn't it? It afflicts us sometimes. Matter of fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, if God doesn't chasten you, he actually doesn't love you. You're actually not even one of his kids. He uses a word that we don't use in polite company. You're not one of his own. You came from somebody else. Unless he chastens you. So the word of God, absolutely sweet. But it can also be bitter. The prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3 heard the same thing. You see, God feeds us as a good father feeds his kids. You know what? Sometimes you've got to eat stuff you don't like. Amen? The Twinkie diet, just don't do it. You know, sometimes you've got to throw some broccoli in there. I like my broccoli with so much cheese sauce on them, they're not actually broccoli anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you pull out that baked potato and a ba- when they ask with everything, to me that's yeah, put a steak on that. <laughs> you want know? to devour all, you want to take in everything. You need a well-rounded spiritual meal, amen. You gotta have all of it. You gotta take it in. You see, when you do that, you become strong. You become healthy. God works in your life. And then the last thing, notice what happens as we conclude. He said to me, you must prophesy again to many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You see, once you get healthy, you need to go help the rest of the world get healthy. You go speak that truth to somebody else. And there are people today that they don't want to hear the message because it's bitter. Some people readily hear the message because it's sweet to them. They're ready. But God's saying, look, tell them the message. Make sure they, they get an opportunity to hear it. And you know, as you, as you take in, you can give out. One thing you don't want to have on a search and rescue party is someone who is also starving to death. Amen? (laughs) Amen? You want someone who is actually healthy coming to rescue you. You never want to look at the top of the cliff and see somebody who's about to pass out. You want someone who's there that actually has all their faculties about them. And you see, as the body of Christ, we have our spiritual faculties and we're able to be used of the Lord to then rescue people from sin and death. Because we have what they need. 
why the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all men, all nations. Amen? It's what we're supposed to do. We take in the Word. We devour it. And and you get that by being around the Word. You get that by being around God's people. You get that by hanging out with Jesus. You hang out out with the world, you're not going to have what you need. My brother and I thought it would be really a cool thing because you got to admit, skunks are kind of cute, right? We did. We caught one. We knew which end was the bad end, but it didn't stop the disaster from happening. And, And I remember, we tried to tell my dad that we actually hadn't caught the skunk. Praise God for the Weber kettle. Because that's where we offered the clothes up on the sacrificial altar. The lighter fluid. Yeah, you can't get that smell out. But if you hang around with Jesus, you get the fragrance of Christ. And it's life. You see, when you take in the word, your pores begin to exude the word. Who you are is, is because of what you've taken in from the Word. Devour it, folks. Take it in so that you can give it out. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your amazing Word and for the life that it brings to us. And God, we do ask that you'd give us a hunger for your word, Lord, would you cause us to desire more nutrition? Lord, would it, would it be something that we can't live without? Would we look into that great closet of life each day and skim past the things that we shouldn't take in and go right to the meat of it? Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for suffering long with us. Thank you for being kind to us, merciful to us and gracious to us. Thank you that... We all need a measure of faith, Lord. Without it, none of us would be able to know you. And so, God, as we close the service tonight, as we go about our way, go to our homes, would we be found taking in the word of life so that we might have life to give? We bless you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the wonderful name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen.